Aloha, everybody. Welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. I'm in the big island of Hawaii, Tyler, as you well know, and we're recording this remotely uh, and uh, enjoying a great stay over here. Looking forward to the conversation we're going to have today. It's a treat, Peter. Uh, First of all, aloha. I cannot wait to dive into your trip so far out to the big island. A beautiful place out there. Stunning. Absolutely incredible. Staying in Hilo, Hawaii, been here uh, most of the week and into next week. Uh, and uh, here really to a little bit of a working vacation, but also to learn more about Vesta, the company I work with now on coastal carbon capture and having a chance to meet the Vesta team and all of the scientists. We have 13 scientists here, Tyler, that are investigating how olivine performs. And so we're having a great time uh, and also gaining a lot of new information and relationships at uh, Vesta. It's been a blast. Well, I'm excited to learn as much about that as I can. I'm sure we'll have to do uh, more than our discussion today, Peter, but uh, also excited to talk a little bit about this aquaculture venture that I am uh, starting with my good friend, Drew Westfall, who is going to join the show today. And we're gonna pop around the country. I'm here in Austin. You're out there in the Big Island of Hawaii, Peter. And Drew will be joining us from the beautiful Great Lake city of Chicago. Right on. And uh, we're gonna talk a little bit about this aquaculture venture and what we are hoping to create in Southern California. But before we get into it, let's have a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today are brought to you by Geodynamics, an NV5 company specializing in providing accurate surveys of complex coastal environments worldwide. Driven by marine geology, coastal science, and remote sensing, our researchers use the latest technology to provide meticulous data products to support our clients and answer their toughest questions. Geodynamics carefully designs and executes a variety of hydrographic, geophysical, sub-bottom, and near-shore surveys using our fleet of customized vessels and sensor configuration. You can find us at nv5geospatial.com. Geodynamics, delivering solutions, improving lives. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter for our latest updates from around the American shoreline. Like what you're hearing and want to support the network? Sponsorship packages are now available. Go to coastalnewstoday.com slash advertising to learn more. Well, Tyler, welcome to the show, of course, and Drew Westfall, thank you for joining us on the American Shoreline podcast to talk about this incredibly interesting initiative that you and Tyler are undertaking on aquaculture. Thanks for sharing the the update with our audience. I'm so happy to be here. Um, As Tyler mentioned, I'm his friend, so I've been (laughs) listening to Tyler talk for ages, but doing it in sort of a more professional context is also pleasing, it turns out. Well, Tyler, how do you and Drew know each other? Give us a little intro to your working and professional and personal relationship. Well, it really is a lifelong friendship. I've known Drew since I think I was maybe five or six years old, uh, preschool age. Um, And growing up in a small town, we became close friends and um, are still very close friends to this day. Yeah. Talking about the coast has always been a part of our friendship because Tyler was my friend who had a lot of facts about sharks, which I later learned were not all of them were facts. Some of them were just things he made up. (laughs) 
I had a propensity uh, as a youngster to just just bullshit it. <laughs> it and it went away completely when he grew up. <laughs> That's right. It was been transformed. Uh, yeah, from Ojai, California, you guys working together. Uh, I'm I'm really excited to learn about the Channel Islands Kelp and Muscle Company. And and before we dive into that, I should say, uh, Drew, by way of introduction, um, that you have. Uh, uh, been operating as a coastal professional now for many years as the COO of a travel company that uh, organizes and runs the Joko cruise. So I'm really interested in learning more about that experience, but you've been a, a coastal pro uh, and now you and Tyler are looking at this Channel Islands Kelp and Muscle Company initiative, which is really exciting and relevant for our audience out there to learn where the U.S. is on aquaculture development. Uh, some really important things happening in California uh, on that topic. But uh, Drew, give us a little background on the Joko Cruise, which I've heard a lot about from Tyler over the years, and it sounds like a really cool thing. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to. The Joko Cruise is an annual seven-day music festival slash sci-fi fantasy convention for 2,100 nerds that takes place on a chartered cruise ship sailing the Caribbean. Um, and it's it's a pretty amazing time, um, and I'm honored to be considered a coastal professional as a result of my work therein. I'm also, I should say, a registered dock worker um, with special clearance in Broward County. Um, so, <laughs> but uh, you know how how exactly does cruise connect to kelp and mussels? Um, uh, we have, because we have nerds, we have a lot of actual scientists, uh, who attend our event. Uh, when we started hearing concerns from our guests about the carbon impacts of cruising, we realized that if we just made a kind of greenwashing type commitment as a company that our nerds would see right through us, even if we were okay with doing that, um, so we set out to hire a climate scientist to write us a climate white paper about the carbon effects of cruising. And we ended up with this 50-page document that you can find at jococruise.com slash carbon, which walks through how we compute what the ship is emitting, what how cruising fits into the larger picture of maritime emissions, emissions to the larger picture of global emissions, um, and the ways that the UN recommends going about addressing these things. Um, the process of me like editing together that white paper kind of gave me the climate bug. And I, I got, I've been calling it like the climate gospel, um, which is that we actually can do something. Um, it's totally within range, um, but we just aren't doing it yet. Um, so over the pandemic, when cruising was paused domestically and internationally for some time. Uh, I got involved with a European carbon removal advocacy organization to try to help them get started. And I had this one question, which is just how does someone who's neither a scientist nor a multimillionaire actually make climate impact? And that led me to this category of techniques that are working with biomass, which people would normally think of as trees or other green things grown on land. Um, and then that eventually led me to aquaculture. Um, and now to kelp and mussels. 
and after that today to being here with you on this podcast. Yeah, Tyler, that's the thing that stitches this conversation together is uh, Drew's uh, experience uh, in the cruise industry and trying to make that uh, particular effort, the Joko cruise, more climate sensitive. Uh, you and Drew have joined voice forces to uh, work to establish the Channel Islands Kelp and Muscle Company, a way to provide uh protein and food in a sustainable, climate-sensitive way. Introduce the audience out there, Tyler, to the Channel Islands Kelp and Muscle Company. Absolutely. I mean, basically, this all started off with a vision. And and I should just go back uh, and talk about when Drew was working on, when he caught the, the climate gospel bug and started to explore this, we would have long phone calls. This was during the pandemic period, and we would have long phone calls. And of course, Peter, I get to host this wonderful show with you and talk yeah. to people from around the American shoreline. And I would often find myself uh, telling Drew about guests that we had on the show who are doing innovative things in the carbon space. And... Uh, one of the things that I noticed, Peter, and I, 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 would, I would love to get your thoughts on this as well, but I've noticed that around the American shoreline, attitudes toward aquaculture have really been changing. And I would say, Peter, you're kind of my, my patient zero, because I remember when we first started Coastal News Today, we didn't even have an aquaculture section on, on the website. We, we, did we didn't. And, and I, I kind of got the idea. I mean, I felt like I was pretty high on it, but when I talked to you about it, you were a little... Uh, you, maybe skeptical about how big it was. And I remember I would show you some articles about, you know, the potential of aquaculture, not only for uh, carbon sequestration benefits and biofuel benefits, but also for sustainable food. And uh, we basically the idea got planted in my mind, you know, several years ago that this is an opportunity area that really does check a lot of boxes in the sustainability game. And it's also something that, technologically, like with the climate gospel, the aquaculture gospel is technologically in range. There are operations around the world that are demonstrating that this that regenerative aquaculture can be done sustainably, that it can be done profitably, that you can incorporate diversity and equity and inclusion into your business on the waterfront. These are all important things, as we know, around the American shoreline as people are adapting to climate change. So I thought, what a great kind of yin-yang opportunity to try to in inject a little business on uh, the uh, Ventura shoreline, where Drew and I both grew up. We're familiar with the area. We have deep, deep roots. We grew up swimming in that water. We grew up going out to the Channel Islands. Uh, we love this space. We want to see it thrive and do well. So we, it's, it felt like the perfect place to do it. And this also coincides with ongoing efforts by the federal government through NOAA to designate aquaculture opportunity areas. So, you know, f for years in the United States, aquaculture seemed like a, a white whale. Uh, it was regulatory, from a regulatory perspective, it was just too, too much for, for any, you know, small business to bite off. As Drew said earlier, you'd have to be a millionaire to even uh, think about touching it. But NOAA is uh, beginning, actually, with Rear Admiral Gallaudet, and maybe even before him. But NOAA has been 
uh, really pushing aquaculture and trying to make it a, a new source of, of working waterfront jobs, a place for sustainable American seafood, and ultimately a place where maybe we can take a bite out of the carbon problem as well. Right on. I mean, I think we've had many shows on fisheries, Tyler, uh, on the American Shoreline Podcast Network uh, over the last couple of years. And I think our listeners may know the vast majority of seafood consumed in the United States is imported. Uh, and numbers can reach above 80%. And uh, domestic production of seafood is a carbon positive thing to do. The shipping distances of moving fish around the world so we can all have great sushi or whatever flavor of fish we're interested in uh, puts a lot of demand on the environment. And the ability to produce uh, seafood of a variety of types through uh, domestic production and through aquaculture, uh, which takes significant pressure off wild stocks if done correctly, is absolutely a positive forward step, and it's it's good to hear that NOAA is moving forward to try to make this accessible. Drew, you've established and and uh, a company on the American shoreline uh, with the Joko Cruise, uh, a successful business operation. You're talking now about the Channel Islands Kelp and Mussel Company. Um, when you look ahead at what it would take to move forward uh, to implement uh, this aquaculture idea. Tell us what comes to mind for you as a business professional. Well, this is, uh, yeah, this is what Tyler and I spend a lot of time talking about. And the way that we really are trying to approach this is not with a kind of startup ethos, which is about essentially getting your value pumped up to the point that it becomes really valuable for the founders to sell. Um, which is kind of like a sales first product later um, spreadsheet games style of business versus like a lot of the businesses that are already a part of the working waterfront are more family operations. They're local, they work with local people um, and they form this kind of community of coastal professionals. Um, So that's, I guess the first thing is that like, we're really trying to make something that's more of a, a small business operating on the coast that has an opportunity to hopefully do two things that don't normally go together, which is turn a profit, turn a, turn a reason, turn like a reasonable profit while also making these kinds of positive climate impacts. And just to go back to what we were saying about regenerative aquaculture and, and what it is and why this is an especially cool project on the climate front. I think it's, because you're able to address these two needs of food production in a changing climate, which is going, and also with population growth happening at the rate it's happening, um, and also emissions reductions, which happen from avoiding the transportation and also from the particular species that we're talking about here. Mussels are one of the lowest carbon protein sources uh, out there. Um, and kelp is not only net negative on carbon in that it takes carbon out of the atmosphere in order to grow um, or making it neutral. If you re-release that carbon Um, it's also, and like the kelp and mussels together are part of this kind of having this regenerative clean cleansing effect on the coastal ecosystems that they are growing in, as opposed to other kinds of aquaculture, which probably require more study. Um, 
And then finally, getting into the UN uh, International Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change's recommendations, over 10% of that report focuses on biofuel methods of carbon capture and sequestration. Um, and and bioenergy as a like larger category containing that. Um, and in order to do bioenergy, you need biomass. And especially in California, which is freshwater constrained, um, in the long run, we really believe that kelp presents an, a very attractive form of biomass that cleans the areas that it grows in um, and does not require almost any fresh water to be used for bioenergy, um, which is an essential transition technology if we're going to try to avoid going above the two degree centigrade warming target. It makes sense to combine the two and to seek to develop a, a, a functioning business enterprise on the working waterfront, something that can be replicated community to community. Um, Tyler, tell us a little bit about what you've learned. I know you've been working very hard on this for now more than a year, um, but you mentioned NOAA's aquaculture opportunity areas. Um, there's really an emerging regulatory framework here. Um, help our audience understand you know, what the state of play is when it comes to the development of aquaculture on the American shoreline. Well, I think the place to start is to realize that aquaculture development on the American shoreline is significantly behind where it is on shorelines around the world. Peter, it's not dissimilar to offshore wind, where Europe mm -hmm. really got in in the early 90s and consequently have, have developed technologies and techniques that quite simply we don't have here. Uh, aquaculture, specifically uh, kelp and mussel aquaculture, has been heavily developed in Europe and in Asia. Uh, beyond kelp and mussels, there are uh, globally the fastest growing sector of seafood is aquaculture based. Now, this is not all a, a good thing. Uh, a lot of international aquaculture comes under environmental scrutiny, and I want to be clear that not all aquaculture is good aquaculture. But what we're focused on is regenerative aquaculture with kelp and mussels, which are, you know, pretty much as on as low on the food chain as you can get. Um, yeah. And, you know, mussels are as low on the protein, uh, food chain as you can get and still generate protein. And, you know, to, to pivot back to uh, the question that you were uh, that you asked Drew about how to start a business like this. You know, one of the important things that NOAA has been doing over these you know, past, say, 30 years is actually developing the science. And this is critical because in order for a small business like the one we propose to create to be able to operate on the ocean, which is a public space that is shared by interests from all of us, we need an airtight science-based regulatory framework on which to operate. And I, I have to say, that's why this moment we are in right now is so exciting, is that the, all, of these, all of this science and research is coming to a head. And that's what this AOA space will be. The AOA, the Op Aquaculture Opportunity Area, is merely an area. But it's an area where NOAA says, we will entertain having aquaculture uh, activities in this space. And as you know, Peter... Time and time again around the American shoreline, what has shut down aquaculture? It has been siting. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you're you're taking fishing grounds away. You're potentially interfering with shipping lanes. You're potentially interfering with uh, wildlife that might use the area. So f- uh, determining and delineating uh, this AOA space is a huge first step. And uh, there are two, I should point out, on the American shoreline right now, there are two AOA areas. One of them is in Southern California, and the other is in the Gulf of Mexico off of the Texas coast. Both are running concurrently right now. They are in the programmatic EIS phase of the AOA designation. So this is you know, coming into uh, crunch time, if you will, but a very exciting time, and it, which is why we are kicking this thing off now. We want to get some momentum behind us so that when the aquaculture opportunity area opens up, we'll be ready to go. Yeah, I mean, just to jump in a little bit about how specifically we're hoping to approach starting that. Because there is, the, the real thing is, you know, right now, Tyler and I are two good friends who work on the coasts who've been talking about this stuff for years. But what we want to start is, you know, lines of, like, our, our our ideal, we think with all the way that this permitting will go, is that, like, maybe in four years we could have lines in the water if we're going really fast. Um, so we need to figure out how to get in place for that. And what we're looking at right now are our grants through NOAA, specifically the Salt and Stall Kennedy grant, which is a NOAA fisheries marketing grant program um, for promoting, developing, and building uh, demand for seafood in the United States. So we're looking at starting through this grant process and what we're realizing because the AOA is not complete and it is not yet possible to operate this business is that marketing and business development is really one of the major things that's missing. Um, In order to start a business, you need to have other businesses who are able to support you unless you're going to be a, a massive operator um so we're looking at kind of information sharing which will also incidentally be information gathering for us and building these business networks through actually like new media stuff including podcasts as a way to start building out a community of coastal professionals who are ready to support the business processes of an aquaculture business and we're looking to start with our focus in Ventura County and Tyler maybe can speak more to some of the siting ideas that we've had. Yeah. Tyler, tell us about, about why the Port of Ventura is an interesting uh, potential partner uh, and location for future aquaculture operations in Southern California. Well, listeners will remember that we had Ev Ashworth uh, on the show to talk about the Ventura shellfish enterprise project uh, which is a project that had been going on for, I'm going to say, the past five years or so, maybe maybe longer than that, where Ventura Harbor had been uh, seeking to create an, an environment where new aquaculture startups might emerge. And this was a way to supplement their existing commercial fishing fleet, which it needs uh, it's an, a vital part of its working waterfront. It's a vital part of the economics of the harbor itself. Uh, if the harbor loses 
too much of its commercial uh, operators. It will lose its Army Corps of Engineers dredging uh, contract, which our listeners know is extremely important. Dredging is probably the most expensive line item on Ventura Harbor's uh, budget. So um, they're looking at their whole operation and saying, geez, the, the, if, if we lose commercial fishermen, uh, our whole enterprise is in danger. And they're looking out their window, and they can almost see the, the fishing fleet uh, disappearing. I mean, over the years, Peter, again, you know that uh, fisheries around the American shoreline have shifted. And uh, it's, it's hard being a commercial fisherman th- these days, not only complying with the strict fishing regulations, which are, of course, necessary, but also just competing in the global marketplace is increasingly difficult. So Ventura Harbor looked to aquaculture as a way to really lean into the future and develop a new economic base to fuel the harbor going forward. And uh, it, we had a great conversation, Peter, with, with Ev, and I would say that the harbor really carried that baton as far as they could. And Tyler, is Ev, he's the, was he the uh, Ventura Harbor director or board chair? Can you tell us who? Yeah, yeah Ev, Ev at the time, he has since stepped down, but at the time he was a board member of the Ventura Harbor uh, Commission, I think is what they're called, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, I believe and, so. And, you know, he was really one of the um, the energies behind the Ventura Shellfish Enter- Enterprise Project, with, with other people as well. This was broadly supported by uh, several community players and Ventura Harbor. And they really put Ventura into, I would say, the catbird seat for aquaculture, uh, particularly regenerative aquaculture in Southern California. They, they advanced study of the area off the coast. They got NOAA's involvement. Uh, they involved California Sea Grant um, and just did a wonderful job of laying down the groundwork for what would become the AOA process, I would, I would imagine. And a lot of their work, I'm sure, is being recycled by the AOA people now. Um, and it also allowed people like me, and I'm sure uh, Drew and I are not alone, folks who look out there and say, hey, this, this could be a viable business. It's just daunting when you consider the, the kind of regulatory uh, obstacle course that one has yeah. to go through. It, you, it requires a degree of just rolling up your sleeves and saying, yeah, let's just give it a whirl. And that's really what Drew and I are doing. We're coming in here willing to play, really wanting to just go with the regulatory flow. We want to be partners. We know that we have to be partners with the regulators in order for this to work. We understand that we are operating in a public space. And it's, it's, it's kind of a new kind of business, Peter. I mean, uh, coastal professionals know that when you're working on the ocean, when you're working on the beach, uh, you're working in a, in a, a place of extreme public scrutiny. Uh, aquaculture is no different. And I think that we kind of welcome that. We want to make sure we are doing right by the environment. That's why this uh, business is interesting. Well, I think what's great about what you guys are trying to do here by focusing on kelp and mussels and 
starting with an understanding of the multiplicity of interests that are on the shoreline, the necessity of careful regulatory oversight. Uh, that's a great foundation and a good beginning, Tyler. I mean, you and I in Coastal News today uh, keep track of a lot of these issues. And aquaculture has been controversial around the world, uh, primarily in finfish aquaculture and shrimp aquaculture, where you're talking about caged fish. You're talking about the sources of food that you're going to use to grow uh, salmon or other finfish at scale the use of antibiotics and the use of chemicals to keep the fish safe. Uh, in the shrimp aquaculture industry, huge concerns over the destruction of mainlands and uh, of mangroves in Southeast Asia, the conversion of coastal areas into big shrimp ponds. What you guys are working on are, as you say, the base of the food chain, uh, kelp production and mussel cultivation, which requires no food, no external inputs of chemicals or uh, any of that, but looking at the natural productivity of the ocean system and having a positive effect on climate change. It's really the way to start aquaculture and the responsible way to do it. And I'm just, and I'm, I know this about you and I know this about Drew, you guys are uh, aware of the necessity of careful regulatory structures and, and, and coming in with a commitment to operate within that system uh, is such a great idea and really gets you down the road. So Kudos to both of you guys in terms of what you're thinking about in terms of species selection and also an understanding of the situation that you're in. And I would just uh, just add on to that that you know these uh, kelp is absolutely native to Southern California. In fact, it is a keystone species in the marine environment in Southern California. And I would even go as far as to say that it. Growing kelp in Southern California could not come at a better time, as kelp forests are uh, disappearing, and um, the potential to create habitat while also creating uh, this kelp product and mussel product, I think, is an important feature of the project. Drew, what can you add about the uh, about the regulatory framework as a as a potential business developer? Um, what do you see in the regulatory structure down the road? What do you think is uh, good about it? What are you concerned about? What do you what, what, what's coming into focus on the regulatory side? I mean, I think that the question with regulations is how onerous and expensive is it to comply? And some amount of difficulty and expense is to be expected. I think the only thing that would be challenging is if it became so expensive as to eat away at the profit margin. And then again, that's where on the marketing side, regenerative aquaculture is something that needs to be explained to the public and marketed to the public, which is why, you know, it all comes down to marketing. Like Tyler said, the government's done the science. If these businesses are going to come online, there needs to be a market for their products. There needs to be a market for the services that support them. And that kind of like trying to stimulate those markets is what's important. And, and the reason that regenerative aquaculture, I think, is especially helpful if, for example, compliance is expensive, as you kind of need to expect that it will be, is that by rolling climate benefits and rolling ecosystem co-benefits into the seafood, you're able to charge like higher prices because people do want to make a difference when they can. Um, and 
that I think is one of the big marketing opportunities with these regulations is that you can have some of the cleanest, best, lowest environmental impact seafood. And you can, you can take that. You should be proud that you were regulated. It was a hassle to do all the compliance. And like, now that you've, now that you've gone through that, we're hoping to develop some solid marketing strategies around kind of uh, virtue signaling <laughs> benefits of eating that kind of food. Uh, to use a to use a phrase, the regulations actually in the in this particular case add value to the product, particularly if we can work on marketing and branding that. Uh, one of the things that I think is really exciting about doing kelp and mussels together is that uh, you know kelp. While people do eat kelp, the the big picture benefits of kelp are really not solely about human consumption. Kelp is used in industrial products. It's There are new uses for cattle feed. There are even uses for biofuel and the making of plastics and actually like non-plastic packaging materials and things like that that probably will go to the majority, where the majority of the product will end up. Um, but mussels, you know, there's something about food, Peter, you know, if if you could just imagine a family sitting there at Ventura Harbor uh, with a bowl of fresh mussels that just came out of our grow site, and a little girl sitting there eating that mussel, there's something about that that is just extremely clear. I mean, we've all experienced it when we eat fresh fish by the ocean. There's some connection about that the food and the sea, and you know, historically. When we eat fresh fish from the ocean, one one thinks, "Boy, is are there enough of them? Am I am I damaging the ocean?" And then we're taught about sustainable fisheries. Well, in this particular case, when someone wonders what's the cycle of this mussel that I'm eating, the answer is this is a part of a regenerative, sustainable aquaculture operation that is making a positive impact on the environment, and that's a new kind of of business in America. I think it's really exciting. That is. Uh, and also, as you say, I mean, the Port of Ventura is, and small ports around around the American shoreline struggle uh, with shifting fisheries, uh, shifting business opportunities. They know that they need to keep the ports viable in order to attract and sustain the investment from the Corps of Engineers on channel maintenance. All of these things go into the operations of the port and developing these new business sectors that are climate positive. Uh, is really a great idea from the port industry development side. And I'll tell you, I have thought about sitting at uh, at, at Ventura Harbor, uh, having a bowl of steeped mussels when you guys get underway uh, in three or four years. I'm hoping to absolutely uh, be there when you guys bring in the first uh, harvest. I hope that's I hope that's where it ends up. Uh, Tyler, can you, are you willing? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your grant proposal? What is it that you're hoping uh, to? to uh, to accomplish in the uh, in the in the grant application that you're putting together for NOAA right now. Well, as Drew said, what's missing right now, other than actual aquaculture businesses, because we're still in the AOA period, is any sort of conception of what the supply chain might look like. There's already uh, businesses, small businesses that are beginning to position themselves. 
up and down the life cycle of an aquaculture operation, what that means is, you know, you have, of course, the farming part, which everyone thinks of, but before you can farm, you have gear, you've got genomics and uh, seed that has to be purchased. There's all sorts of engineering, permitting, pre-permitting stuff. These are all technical expertise that need to be and are being developed. And then, of course, you have the farming stuff. And Peter, this is getting really exciting because uh, there's new technologies, there's new remote sensing and monitoring technologies that can all be incorporated into the aquaculture site, as well as opportunities to partner with academic institutions and other research institutions to kind of study what we're doing and how we're doing uh, as we go. And then there's the, 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 the back end of the operation, the distribution, the sale of the product. And what our grant seeks to do is to bring these people together in the Southern California AOA space and basically conduct a series of podcasts where we get to know these people and share what their business and their business models are, the challenges that they're facing, and connect them with other people around the aquaculture full stack. And then have a big conference, Peter, a big gathering. You know how we love these. Yeah. And, and really forge these relationships that will make the working waterfront and the community of operators who are going to be doing this aquaculture business tight-knit. They'll give us a culture, give us a sense of, of what our values are and what our common ground is. And I think that's a real important thing. I would absolutely invite Drew right here to, to chime in and add to that. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's the the larger goal of founding this specific business in this space now is that we do think that there's a way to kind of have and have our cake and eat it too on building a sustainable business and actually contributing in a positive way to averting the worst effects of climate change to the working waterfront to this beautiful county that Tyler and I grew up in to the ocean uh, and the coast, which as you mentioned, Peter has made up a big part of Tyler and my careers and earlier for our childhood. Um, and that kind of idea of giving back and sharing in some way, we, we hope that by being transparent participants in the regulatory process um, and transparent participants in the, process of like being a new entrant to this market we hope that by sort of sharing that and just sharing our learning process of bringing these people together and hearing out everyone will help not just our business get started because we're obviously going to learn things and meet people and kind of have this like public hashing out of exactly how do you even do this thing that's never been done um, but we also hope that it will publicize all the other opportunities that are available to people as part of this AOA process getting completed and will publicize language around these aquaculture techniques as successful, doable, in-range technologies that can actually make a difference right now. So we want other people to follow us. We want our process to be something that they can see um, so that we're not the only ones who are doing this. So it gets easier to operate out there 
um, as more and more responsible operators enter the field. And it's it's a very sort of soft skills project right now because none of this stuff exists and nobody is allowed to do it yet. So really all you can do is talk about it. Well, and, and beginning to build the network of players necessary for a functioning aquaculture industry to exist in Southern California for kelp and mussels. It's not just the grower, Tyler, as you said, there's the processors, there's the distributors, there's the businesses that are going to support the, uh, the installation and harvesting of mussels. That means shipping and people on boats and equipment and, uh, uh, processing on shore, refrigeration, all kinds of things. There's multiple business opportunities. And it's pretty cool to hear you guys talking about wanting to develop the team that would contribute to a successful industry. And Tyler, that's kind of a, you don't hear a lot of business people talk about developing all of the players in the game, but it sounds like in this grant proposal, you guys want to bring together all of the potential participants in this industry and be, get everybody sort of educated and ready to respond to the uh, aquaculture opportunities that are being uh, framed by NOAA right now. That's exactly right. It's This is the bottom of the first inning, and uh, I don't even know if we've... Maybe we're not even in the bottom of the first inning, Peter. Maybe we... Yeah, spring training. Yeah, we might even be in spring training. I don't know if we're at the arena yet, uh, but, but it is the, a great time for us to get to know each other and develop a coherent idea of who we all are and how we can operate together. And there are opportunities all over the place uh, in, in the Southern California AOA alone, which is why we're focused there. But I'm quite certain that the lessons we learn, the tips and tricks that we put together in our marketing toolkit, which is another aspect of this grant, will be applicable and useful for the Texas AOA process. And after that, as aquaculture branches out elsewhere along the American shoreline, it will be useful there as well. We need lots of operators in order for us to hit the what NOAA calls the triple bottom line of sustainability. So when NOAA talks about sustainability, they talk about environmental sustainability, they talk about economic sustainability, of course, and they talk about social sustainability. Well, in order for us to hit those things, we don't need one or two mega operators out there. We need a whole new industry with lots of small farms out there that can employ lots of people and bring people who have never had access to to waterfront jobs, to blue economy jobs into the fray. These are good climate change jobs. This is the kind of thing that we hear all the time from politicians in Washington, D.C. And in order for us to make that a reality, we're going to need a lot of new entrants. So we, we really want our product to be something that is useful for lots and lots of other entrants around the American shoreline. Drew, when you envision the future uh, of an aquaculture opportunity area, I assume that this is a bounded, mapped location off the shore of Southern California within which uh, aquaculture operations are likely to be permitted. Um, could you describe two things? What what role do you and Tyler want to play in that? Do you want to be a basically a farmer, essentially a producer? And um, do you see a conglomeration of operators within that designated space? How do you envision the future both for you guys uh, with your company and uh, with your partner companies? Our hope is to operate a 200-acre site, uh, which is 
at best medium sized, if not small. And our hope is that other medium and small operators will be able to function in the AOA. And and that's another part of what we're working on through this marketing focus now is marketing the idea that small operators want to get out on the water too. And that, you know, respecting that NOAA triple bottom line of sustainability is going to be easier if you have a heterogeneity of operators out there instead of just one giant corporate entity that has its specific extractive mission out on the water. Um, So that's kind of the other reason that we really want to telegraph exactly what sort of our moral intention is out there. Um, But yeah, there are many different, like in terms of the existing fishing community out in Ventura Harbor, um, I don't think it's just all one giant company that is operating out there. It's a number of smaller operators. And we're, we're hoping that that is, we think that that's a more sustainable path uh, of growth. Yeah. And Tyler, I know it's important to you personally uh, in say in, in agricultural practices, you're a fan of small, sustainable, organic farming networks that produce more food uh, more locally, less transportation. It sounds like that pattern of evolution in American agriculture is something that you guys are trying to frame and institute in the aquaculture space. Multiple small operators, organically based, locally sourced. Uh, Is there a parallel there for you? Well, I, I think so. I think there's some lessons learned. And what I would say is that in America, uh, we started out, you know, you go back to the time of Jefferson when the vision, one of the visions of the whole country was to have small farmers uh, across the continent. Um, when when one drives across the country these days, uh, you see you don't see a bunch of small farms everywhere. You see big mega farms that dominate, you know, vast portions of the country. And there's kind of a peculiar thing that happens, uh, I, I find, and that is, on the one hand, you could see uh, regulators wanting to contend with a big player because it's one entity you 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 can treat with one big you know well funded. Uh, or let's not say one, but say a small group, maybe two, one or two groups that you have to work on regulating. And that might be easier than regulating, I don't know, hundreds of, of independent businesses. But the, the trick here is we're trying to start something new. And uh, mistakes are going to be made. And I, I say that we don't want to make mistakes, but we're human beings and they will be made. And I think that the more resilient model is one where we have lots of players so that we, A, can compete against each other and get better, and B, when a mistake, an egregious mistake or something like that is made, we don't, we can deal with that one actor and we don't all uh, go down. We can, we can survive that. So I think that in this moment of uh, trying to build this industry out, meet the NOAA triple bottom line, a, a a model where there's lots of entrance is just a much better outcome. 
Yeah, I'd like to jump in where Tyler was talking. Uh, just back to your to his comment about mega farms, where a lot of our food comes from, and these monoculture industries. And when you look at them up close, a lot of where a lot of our food comes from is actually kind of gross. Like these, or those shrimp ponds you were talking about, Peter, or the mm-hmm. antibiotics in the water. Um, regenerative aquaculture isn't like that, and local small-scale agriculture isn't like that. We're really hoping to make a place you can go to to see where your food comes from, where you can understand the climate benefits, you can look at how the thing is getting into your muscle bowl, and then maybe you're, you know, a little bit more into the idea that your muscle bowl is, you know, $16 or mm-hmm. whatever, <laughs> whatever price it might be. Um, but that I think is a big part of, of marketing. It is that this is something that you can look at it. You can see that we're not adding anything. Um, this is an actual local product that took a short boat ride to get to your plate. Right on. Tyler, what is the, what is the, why do mussels and kelp go together? How, how do you envision an operation that would, that would attempt to produce these two products and why put them together? Why does that make sense? Well, there is scientific evidence to suggest that mussels and kelp actually grow better together than they do uh, separately. So they naturally do like to go together. Um, But really what it is is that the method of growing them is conducive of doing both in the same space. So you're maximizing your area of impact. Uh, We want to get the very most out of the 200-acre farm that we propose that we can sustainably. And growing mussels and kelp together introduce an an additional... uh, revenue stream and product that you just wouldn't have if you were just growing one. Um, I won't go into uh, the, the kind of mechanics of growing them together, but one can imagine that, you know, kelp is a plant that starts with a hold fast, which is typically uh, anchored to mm-hmm. the bottom of the ocean um, on a rock or some sort of hard uh, surface. Uh, in the case of a kelp farm, that would be uh, started on shore uh, the kelp would reach uh, still a very little baby kelp, but it would reach a, a, a large enough size that it could be transported out to the ocean, put in place. As it grows uh, and gets taller and taller and taller, the uh, line that it is perched on can be lowered uh, so that the kelp kind of naturally extends up to the surface of the water uh, as it as it wants to do. It has uh, little... Uh, air pockets in it that cause it to want to do that. Yep. And then what you, that's right. And then, um, the muscles can be suspended just directly adjacent to it. The muscles love being in the shade of the kelp. And of course the kelp appreciate that the muscles are filter feeders and are keeping the water clean. You know, if, if you're a kelp, you're a big piece of, uh, material floating out there. So other planktons and other critters are going to want to attach to you. And that can cause problems if you're the kelp. So by having those mussels right next door, it's like having ladybugs in your garden. Uh, they're going to go around and eat the aphids. So uh, the mussels are, are beneficial to the kelp, and the kelp mm, are beneficial to the mussels. 
well, nature puts things together. Nothing is grown in a monoculture. Nothing exists as a monoculture in the real world. Uh, I'm sitting on the Big Island of Hawaii, looking out the window at this complex uh, forest, this tropical forest, and there's there's hundreds of species of plants in the you know in the a few hundred square feet around this structure that I'm staying in. It's it's incredible. I think the idea of integrating the two makes a hell of a lot of sense. Uh, the harvest technique in the area would seem to be compatible. Um, Drew, I'm, I've, you know, in Coastal News today, we follow aquaculture. As Tyler said, we introduced the tab probably a year and a half ago or so to track aquaculture stories. And I try to keep pace with what's happening in Congress. Uh, there's been a couple of bills introduced, the Aqua Act being one. Um, but do you see anything in the federal legislative arena uh, as a as a uh, as a potential as an operator of, of a new business, are there encouraging signs in Congress and on Capitol Hill in terms of how the U.S. government is looking at aquaculture? Are there signs that give you uh, encouragement in what you're trying to do? I'd say the broad signs are that people are beginning to recognize that aquaculture techniques are a necessary part of the portfolio of climate actions that we're all going to need to take. Um, and I think anybody who's interested in any sort of climate change mitigation, but um, also especially aquaculture should be watching as at the 11th hour, the Democrats may be passing um, this climate bill of Biden's, which does include some carve outs that would be pretty, I mean, that. Right now, we're focused on this initial grant, and then we're going to resurvey the world of grants as we try to figure out exactly how we will position ourselves in this business ecosystem. Well, I got to say, I'm thrilled with this initiative, and we've been talking about putting this show together, Tyler, and it's the right time right now. I think you guys have been working very hard on this idea for more than a year now. And uh, I have only one request, Tyler, and uh, you know, you're the producer of the American Shoreline Podcast Network. You record, edit, you know, produce all of the shows on the network, which is a huge job, and make big contributions on Coastal News Today. So as you get this thing off the ground, <laughs> the promise I want is that you're going to keep working with me because this this thing that we're doing has been so exciting and such a thrill over the last uh, three and a half years that we put this together. Um, I wish you and Drew great luck, but uh, I know we're gonna we're gonna continue to work on this, right? Oh, of course. Uh, this is I'm nailing this is, you down publicly. <laughs> uh, you don't need to. I I love doing this podcast. I love uh, producing all the shows on the American Shoreline Podcast Network. Yeah, and if if anything, I want to do more of it. So no, this uh, starting the Channel Islands Kelp and Muscle Company is not a departure in any way from my normal duties at ASPN. I still. Uh, I actually think that they're they work well together. Um, they do. You know, the, the um, importantly, one of the reasons why we wanted to do this show is to really talk for an hour about starting this business and share. I know that our audience uh, includes coastal professionals from around the American shoreline, but quite a few from uh, NOAA Fisheries and from people at NOAA itself. And I yeah. I wanted to take use this as an opportunity to really, you know, oh, pop the hood and, and share uh, with everyone around the American shoreline, but especially these, these regulators at NOAA, what our intentions are. 
and um, the awesome. I, I just I I think that the work that has been done so far is so exciting, and um, I just can't wait to dive into it, Peter, and tell the story along the way with you and all of our other listeners. I hope we do that. I you know I hope this is a regular check-in because we're talking about the emergence of a new and critical industry on the American shoreline, um, and to have a firsthand inside account. Uh, would be of great value to the listeners and other uh, proprietors and, and folks interested in the industry, Totter. So I, it's it's an important service for our readers, and we all, all ought to go on the journey together in what it would take uh, to form that Channel Islands Culp and Muscle Company. It would be a great adventure and, a, you know, nothing but uh, wishes of success for for this initiative, and I hope it goes, hope it goes great for you guys. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Tyler Buckingham, the co-host of the American Shoreline Podcast and producer of the American Shoreline Podcast Network, and also the founder, co-founder of the Channel Islands Kelp and Muscle Company, and Drew Westfall, his partner in crime and partner in, I should say, crime partner in good intentions. Uh, Really appreciate you guys uh, introducing the audience to this initiative, and uh, Good luck with the NOAA grant process. And uh, we really do look forward to hearing more about how this unfolds in Southern California and around the American Trail. I appreciate the time for both of you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Peter. Says.